This is going to be the first ever edition of the Broadcast Journal, where I interview various sports and entertainment uh, personalities about their lives and careers in sports. And my first guest will be Kenny Albert. He does um, he's a play-by-play broadcast for the Rangers on MSG Network. He does a lot of other stuff as well, including national games for the NBC. He does Fox Sports in terms of Major League Baseball and football. Is there anything else in that? Uh, some mixed broadcasts for MSG as well, so involved in each of the four sports to a different extent. Well, yeah, let's talk about it. You actually did a Knicks game last night, right? Against Clippers, right? So yeah. Yep. How did you describe that um, game last night? Well, the Knicks played pretty well, I thought. Uh, coming off the loss to the Lakers, um, they actually had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, couldn't hold on, but I thought they did show some good signs. And now one night later, here we are for the Rangers and the Nashville Predators. Obviously, there was a whole bunch of commotion last night about Charles Oakley. We won't get into that, but uh, do you have any Charles Oakley stories that you have to... Uh, not really. I wasn't involved in the broadcast when he was still playing. Obviously, watching as a player, but uh, no personal stories. Okay, um... Your father, uh, uh, you know, he did um, Rangers and Knicks games. He did stuff like this back in the 80s. So do you find that ironic that you're doing it as well? Well, I used to tag along with him to Knicks games, Rangers games, NFL games, and really learned a lot just by osmosis, by sitting next to him and keeping the stats for him at times. And it was really uh, better than any classroom I could have learned uh, about broadcasting in. And obviously I did take a lot of broadcasting classes, and they were great, so I don't want to deter anyone from <laughs> taking journalism and broadcasting classes in high school and college. But just being there and, and getting the hands-on experience, being in the booth, and um, he started with the Knicks back in the mid-'60s and the Rangers right around the same time and was here for about 30 years and is still working NBA games with Turner Sports. But it was really an invaluable experience uh, growing up. I felt that by going to the games with him and having the ability to learn, I felt like I was so far ahead of anybody else my age that wanted to get into it because I had a teacher right in my house. So yeah, talk about Marv as uh, a father. And like, uh, besides uh, the broadcast, him being a legend and all the... Right. No, it was great. I mean, sports were obviously a big part of our life. Um, right from the first time uh, the, some of the first memories I have involve um, either going to sporting events or going on trips with him, and it was 99.9% positive. I wouldn't really trade it in for anything. Um, let's talk about, uh, we're here at Madison Square Garden. Um, talk about growing up coming here and watching games, Knicks Rangers. How was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, so many great memories. As we sit here, MSG went through a transformation four years ago, so it looks like a totally different building, aside from the ceiling. The iconic ceiling still looks the same as it did. And actually, uh, this week is the 49th anniversary of the opening of Madison Square Garden, and the reason I know that is because I was born the week before this place opened. <laughs> I was born on February 2nd, 1968, and this building opened on February 10th, 68, so uh, we're right at the anniversary tomorrow. But it's known as the world's most famous arena, and you walk around the concourse and look at the pictures of so many of the big events that were here, not only Knicks games and Rangers games, but 
uh, concerts and boxing matches, the Ali Frazier fight back in 71, the Pope's visit back in the late 70s. Yeah. All the wrestling. All the wrestling. My you know, friend would... Any, con- any yeah. concert you could think of took place here at some point. You know, they have the banner up just to our right for Billy Joel and his 83 consecutive sold-out shows. So there's just a special feeling every time you step in the building. I know you were telling me you were here for a circus yeah. back as a youngster. I remember coming to the circus as well. And it always had that distinct smell when the elephants were yeah, in the building. Yeah. But uh, it's just a, a special feeling, like I said, every time you walk into the building. So uh, you said so. How different has it been since the transformation in terms of how you remember as a kid and then growing up? It's a lot different. I mean, for us, from a broadcast standpoint, it's a great setup. We're up on what's called the Chase Bridge. We have our own booth. Um, There's a men's room nearby, which is important between periods. There's a room with drinks and snacks. None of that uh, was in place before when we were in some different areas as far as the broadcast booth we're up here with the other media the radio and television and the newspaper reporters so it's a great setup uh the scoreboard that you and i are looking at right now there's four huge video screens one on each side that didn't exist before and then for the fans and on a couple of occasions i've been in the stands for events since the transformation and the concourse on the sixth floor level is about three times as wide or two and a half times as wide as it used to be. So it's a lot easier to get around. There are so many more choices of food and refreshments for the fans. The seats are a lot more comfortable. So they really did an amazing job with it. So what would you say is your favorite memory of... Um, I would say uh, your favorite memory doing uh, any of anything that's happened here at the Garden besides Stanley Cup, obviously nine ninety four. Right, and I actually wasn't working for the Rangers yet, but I was here for those games, working for NHL Radio. So that would have to be up there. The Rangers winning the Cup in ninety four. Since I started broadcasting for the Rangers, I think the playoff run in 2014, when they went to the Stanley Cup final against the LA Kings, that entire postseason, uh, they came back from a 3-1 deficit in the second round against Pittsburgh, beat Montreal in the conference final, and that might be the loudest I've ever heard the building, when they beat Montreal in game six, one nothing to advance to the Stanley Cup final. And then, unfortunately, they lost to the Kings four games to one, uh, but that was a great memory, and also having the opportunity to work mixed games with Walt Clyde Frazier. I do about 20 games a year, and his numbers hang from the rafters. He's an iconic Nick, one of the greatest Knicks ever, if not the best, to ever wear the Nick uniform. So always a lot of fun when I have the opportunity to work with Clyde here as well. Yeah, I was going to talk to you about that. So I've noticed that you did some, uh, like, 20 Knicks games, you said. Uh, how did you first get in? Uh, how does the opportunity come about in terms of you doing Knicks games? Well, technically, I don't work for the Rangers. I work for MSG Network. They hire all the announcers. So MSG Network is in charge of producing the television and the radio for both the Rangers and the Knicks. And uh, the folks who we work for approached me about six or seven years ago. And they asked if I would be interested in doing some of the Knicks games when Mike Green was on assignment for national broadcast. So uh, jumped at the opportunity. I do miss some of the Ranger games uh, when I'm at a Knicks game, but um, just really enjoy it. Like I said, working with Clyde and having the opportunity to work all four sports. I realize how fortunate I am, and it's a lot of fun. 
Did you follow your father with Clyde, right? He did a little bit towards the end of his time with the Knicks. He obviously called Clyde's games when he played. For most of his uh, Nick broadcasting career, he was paired with John Andres, who did the Nick games forever. And then in some of the latter years, Clyde came in. Clyde had been doing the radio and then moved over to the TV side. So they did work together for a number of years. So... Uh, so do you talk to your father about your like your broadcasting career in any way? I imagine when you got you and your opportunity to do Knicks games that there'd be some we're born of pride knowing that. Yeah, no, we he, talk we, we do talk all the time. I think early on, I, my first job was in Baltimore doing minor league hockey for a team called the Baltimore Skipjacks. And I would send him the tapes back then, he would listen and critique. And then as time moves along, and I've been doing it professionally now, hard to believe, 20 for 27 years. So um, I'll still get the odd message or text message if he's watching one of the games. And But it's not as much critique anymore, more so early in the career. But um, he'll definitely check out some of the games, just like I watch his uh, NBA games on TNT whenever I get the chance. Uh, let's talk about your uh, your big break uh, when you got the Ranger job. So how did that come about? In 1995, right? 95. Um, I had actually, I guess the first big break, you could say, is in 92 when um, I had been doing the minor league hockey for two years in Baltimore and was hired to do the Washington Capitals games. So that was my first opportunity in the NHL. 95, uh, wound up moving back to New York when Howie Rose, who used to do the Rangers on radio, he was offered a, a dual television job with, with the Islanders and the Mets. So he went over to Sports Channel. I was hired to do the radio for the Rangers. And the year before that, in 94, when Fox Sports uh, was bid on the rights for the NFC games, they hired a bunch of veteran announcers from CBS, Pat Summerall, John Madden, Dick Stockton, Matt Millen. But they also wanted to hire some younger announcers. And a number of us were really in the right place at the right time. They hired... Uh, Joe Buck, Tom Brenneman, myself, and some young color analysts. And proud to say that 24 years later, uh, all three of us on the play-by-play side are still at Fox. Yeah, I just want to talk to you about your uh, Fox Sports um, run right now. Um, you do baseball and you do football. I mean, football. So, let's see. How... Um, how would you describe the difference between doing national games in terms of doing, like, a Ranger game or a Knicks game on MSG? That's a good question, Kofi. Um, a national football game, for example, week 17 of the NFL season, we had the Atlanta Falcons and the Orleans Saints. We hadn't done a Falcons game all year. And all of their rabid fans have probably watched almost every game, if not every game. So the preparation for football is really intense. It's all week long. You're reading you're looking at statistics, you're watching past games all week. That's all you're doing when you're not either with your family or sleeping or eating. So uh, it's really a week-long process for football, probably a 50- to 60-hour week, Monday through Thursday. And then Friday we usually go in and watch practice with the home team, and then we'll sit down with players and coaches. We'll do the same thing with the visiting team Saturday when they get in. So by the time Sunday comes, you feel like you've been studying for a test all week, and then you have to let the game play out. With hockey, I might have three or four Ranger games in a week, one or two Nick games in a given week. You're around the team all the time. You're still doing the homework and 
prepping for the opponent, but you have such a knowledge of your teams that you're around, like I said, three, four times a week. So there's not as much preparation from that aspect of it. And then the difference between radio and TV as well. Uh, the football and baseball and basketball that I work are on the TV side. So as a play-by-play guy, you don't have to be as descriptive on TV because the viewers can see what's going on. Whereas on the radio, and most of my uh, Ranger work is on the radio side, you have to be very descriptive because the fans can't see. So is the puck in the near corner, the far corner, the left blue line, the right blue line, there's a lot more description that goes into it. So there's definitely a distinct... Um, difference between doing radio and TV no matter what the sport is. So what is your favorite event that you've done for Fox Sports since you worked there? Uh, that's a good question. I've been uh, lucky to work five NFL playoff games, and I think the one that stands out was San Francisco and New Orleans back in 2012. There were four touchdowns scored in the last four minutes. It was back and forth, a terrific game. Um, baseball playoff series the last two years. I had the crazy Toronto-Texas series two years ago. Dodgers and Nationals was really exciting uh, this past October. And also uh, worked a Sugar Bowl game, Notre Dame and LSU, back in 2007. And my color analyst for Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long. So I have to say that was a huge career memory as well. Now, your father's known for the, the famous phrase, yes. I noticed that you don't really have your uh, catchphrase. Is that by choice, or is that something that you haven't really developed yet? You know what? Kind of both. I mean, it's one of those things that for, for the broadcasters who do have a catchphrase, whether it's yes or Dick Enberg, oh my, or Jim Nance, it's hello, friends, which isn't even during the action. It's yeah. before the game. I think it kind of just develops on its own. So, uh you know, I call the game, and no matter what the sport is, you know, try to be as descriptive as possible, like I said, and work in pertinent information and bring in my color analysts and try to set them up. But uh, a, a distinct phrase hasn't really popped up in any of the sports like it has for some others. Now let's talk about your analysts. You first, when you first got the Rangers out, you worked with Sal Messina. How was he like to work with? He was great. Sal Red Light Messina. He's in the Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Fame. Won the Foster Hewitt Award for uh, Broadcasting Excellence and had the good fortune to work with Sal uh, for seven or eight years. Worked with Brian Mullen for two years, who was a former Ranger who grew up in New York in Hell's Kitchen. Really enjoyed working with Brian. And now for the last 11 years, now 12 this season with Dave Maloney. And he's just the best. One of the one of my favorite people. Uh, a terrific analyst. Knows the game as well as anybody. And former captain of the Rangers. He was their captain when they went to the finals in 79. So enjoyed all three. Sal was terrific. Brian was great to work with. And have been real lucky to work with Dave now for the last 12 seasons. Sometimes Dave, Dave will jump in on your calls. I remember there was a game, I think, back in 2011 when the Rangers were making a playoff run. And it was against the Boston Bruins. And... The Rangers were down through nothing, and then they tied it. I remember Brendan Dewey scored a goal, and then uh, Dave Lloyd just shrieked out something. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, and he, I think you said something sarcastic. Yeah, oh. He gets excited. He <laughs> does. But, you know, that's part of what makes him great. He's so enthusiastic. He loves the Rangers. And uh, that's okay. We won't hold it against him if he jumps in tonight. <laughs> so, um, so, I guess I want to ask, what are your favorite places to visit in each sport uh, in terms of venues? Let's start with the NHL. You know, I used to love the old traditional arenas, Boston Garden, Chicago Stadium, Montreal Forum. They're not around anymore, but 
aside from Madison Square Garden, still love uh, Montreal. It's always a great atmosphere at the Bell Center. United Center in Chicago, the National Anthem with Jim Cornelison. It's such a tremendous atmosphere. So those are probably my two favorites on the road. In football, love Lambeau Field. have worked a number of Packers games. Soldier Field, before the renovation, it's a little different now. And in baseball, uh, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park. Uh, like I said, I'm a traditionalist, and just the charm, the history of visiting some of those old ballparks is, is always exciting, no matter how many times you've been there. I know each hockey arena has its own unique broadcast booth. Uh, what are your favorite broadcast booths to um, call games in? You know, the one here at MSG, we've been up here for four years now at the Chase Bridge. This is one of the best. I think Montreal is number one in the NHL. You're up high, but you feel like you're looking right down on the ice. Uh, believe it or not, the Nassau Coliseum was one of my favorites, the Islanders' former home. It was an old press box, but it was really, it gave you an intimate feeling as far as uh, seeing the ice and, and the action. So those would be my top three, uh, the Bell Center in Montreal, MSG, and the former Nassau Coliseum. And what about baseball? I know each um, ballpark's yeah, different. Um, every ballpark's different. You know, the ones that are a little closer, uh, the two that are really high up, that are probably towards the bottom of my list, are Pittsburgh and Washington, PNC Park and Pittsburgh and Nationals Park. Although in the playoffs, they put us down low, so we were in a much better spot in the postseason. But uh, the two I mentioned, Wrigley and Fenway, because they're in the original locations, the broadcast booths, and the way those ballparks were built, Fenway is steep. And the seats behind home plate don't go back too far, they go up, so... You feel like you're on top of the field, and you almost feel like you can reach out and touch the green monster. Now, uh, I want to ask you about a specific game. This is probably my favorite call of yours. It was um, Game 5 in the 2012 playoffs against Washington uh, when um, I think Brad Richards tied the game, and then Mark Scull won it in overtime. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was, that's up on my list, too. Yeah. That was, uh, that was you and I are sitting now along the goal line, those goals were scored in this goal on the 7th Avenue side of the garden. I know it's because you don't usually, you usually kind of even kill in terms of your um, announcing style, but when those two goals went in, that was probably the most I've ever heard you yell. So, was that... Yeah, that was exciting. Um, that was certainly a memorable game, and uh, like you said, Rangers tied it late and then won it in overtime, and they went on to beat the Capitals in that series and uh, go on to play the Devils in the, in the conference final. So my last question will be, um, how do you want to be remembered as a broadcaster? Well, that's a good question. That's probably for others to decide, but my feeling is that when the fans turn the game on on radio and television, hopefully they don't even know we're there. Um, you know, they're tuning in to watch the players play and the coaches coach. And um, I remember John Madden used to say, people don't watch the game for the announcers. But I feel like... Like I said to you earlier, I, I try to bring out uh, the best from my color analysts, try to weave in pertinent information, whether it's uh, something.